1: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome
2: to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser,
0: and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio.
3: Speed City. All righty. The Hungarian Grand Prix is in the books and we are going to talk through it because that was not necessarily the most dramatic of races. In fact, the result was the same as last weekend. But as we got to that result, it couldn't have been more different in terms of who came through and how because no one, I don't think, anyone expected Max Verstappen to win that race and more importantly walk away from the Hungaro ring with an 80-point lead going into the summer break. I'm Jonathan Green and alongside Les Kaiser and uh, Bob Varsha, is not here nor is John Massengale but we do have the very 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 on the moment, Chris Medland on the line to give us his thoughts on what was another D Day disaster day for Ferrari mm. and another really really <laughs> good strategic day for Red Bull. Les,
4: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking to hear the things that Chris hears in the paddock after yeah. the race. So, I uh, mean, you know, the highlights to me, Max from tenth spot, oh, brilliant, all the way to the top step on the podium when he went to that medium uh in that other pit stop that's when i was like i think they called that right considering the the uh pit cycle that was going to roll and then uh the attrition of the hard tires we saw a few Mm. folks go on hards that just didn't make sense and uh Anyway, it all turned out. I never thought
3: I'd be able to say this, but this track opened in 1986 and just a year before we got what we thought was a miracle win in the 500 when Danny Sullivan spun and won. Spin and win, they used to call it. And now we have another. Max Verstappen did exactly the same thing. And my word, if Ferrari don't lick their wounds and think what could have been, not only did they not get it right strategy, their opponent was still able to only lose one place by spinning.
4: Yeah, Danny Sullivan handed over, got a new spin and win guy here. Max totally nailed it, you know, in the race. I I love that. You know, that, that was a cool situation. But then the other one, uh, I got to say that Russell performed better than I expected. Leading 30 really? laps, I did not expect that from him.
3: I, I did expect it, but I, I felt for him because I felt it was his day, but you're right. Well, let's bring on here that Chris Medlin is in the thick of it, in the Hungaro ring. It's now raining, uh, as we kind of anticipated. It didn't come to the last lap. Chris, your thoughts uh, straight off the bat uh, on what was a really interesting Hungarian Grand Prix.
5: Oh, Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> oh, out. Uh-huh. That's, um. It's just... How how can you get strategy so wrong so many times and it just seemed to be an knee reaction to what's happening behind Pit wrong side. had an example from Alpine that the hard was difficult, uh, and yeah, they got it wrong, but you're wrong. That shouldn't have shot the wall, try it water That's it. Uh that was that was pretty special. I mean we spoke to Christian Horn, do not we? On the grid and he said, Yeah, top far, we'll take that. That would be where we can get to. Uh, and <laughs> This spray, Ferrari March, before we this is hard. We can do that. We can win every race between now and the end of the season to get back in this championship fight. That's what Matiaso said. Instead, uh, it's a complete reversal with Stoffel winning from tenth. But well, is yeah, not, not uh, quite what we were expecting to be. Yeah, Chris, I'm going to stop uh, you there because I'm, we need. You. I've uh, got a driver with me. Go on. Um, ahead. Yeah, I've got um, I've got here, Alex. Uh, that looked a tough thing. Tricky conditions. I mean, especially with rain now. How was it out there for you? Okay. Um we kind of undid ourselves, well, made it hard after closing that one. So uh, myself myself blame. I think it it's a tricky one. We kind of it's hard for us to battle. We looked very easily and uh, went wide and turned two and the other car in front was coming back inside, kind of preparing turn three. So it was kind of like I was drifting out, I was drifting in. And then it was tricky because you basically
3: have to force yourself to. OK, well, we just lost Chris uh, for a moment there. Let's hope he can put some more money in the Pirelli meter. But I am glad to say that <laughs> Bob Varsha is with us. Wasn't necessarily expecting you, Bob, but uh, what's your take? Oh, hang on. You've got blue flags. As soon as you do a blue flag, you have to call down layers, which you don't want to be doing. It's just then the cycle of. <laughs> We did have, uh, for a moment there, meddling with Chris, uh, with um, Alban there for a second. Uh, we've just got a bad connection, Chris. If you can hear me, uh, try to join us again, uh, but keep going because we love to hear from the drivers. Um, obviously, Alban explaining his woes. But uh, let me bring Bob in here. Um, Bob, your take on what was another disaster for Ferrari. Well,
2: I'm going to have to get some facts before I pass judgment. Uh, I just finished up with festivities in Rome with Formula E. But I had to get back here because my colleague Ryan Marine and I were sort of following the race in Hungary uh, out of the corner of our eyes while we were following the one that we were getting paid to do. So um, (laughs) it certainly sounds like um, another surprising race in Hungary. I mean, did Ferrari shoot themselves in the foot again? When I heard Max Verstappen was up front, I thought, oh, boy, another another page in the legend. So uh, you guys tell me, uh, what we get out of Hungary?
3: Well, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, Mark Priestley on the BBC, their their pundit for the weekend, um, was not holding back quite rightly, and I agree with him. He basically pointed the finger, and even our own Paul Bryan, who writes in uh, and, and tweets some very good stuff, he said, Benotto, is he using a dartboard? The bottom line is they got it wrong on strategy. Again, Leclerc and Science had the two fastest cars. Um, they just react. Badly to what was going on behind them. Um, And they came in and they chose hard tyres and they shouldn't have done and they couldn't get anywhere with them. And, you know, uh, Leclerc went from first to to six at one point. Hamilton starts to come through. Um, Verstappen starts to come through. They got their strategy right. There was always imminent rain. Um, But the bottom line is they were just the wrong choices and everybody. Knew it. I mean, I've never driven a Formula One car. I've never stood on the pit lane. I don't pretend to profess that I could be a team manager in any way, shape, or form. But I'm a soccer fan, and I'm happy to to you know talk about the lineup of a soccer team any time of the day because I have played soccer at least, and I will have a go at the manager. And I've got to say, Benotto's had <laughs> so many chances to get this right. The car is good. The design of the car is good. They've got two of the best drivers in the world. And they go into the summer break with an eighty-point deficit to a car that has not been the most reliable. Right. And frankly, they have just yeah. taken their chances better.
4: I question, yeah. how much is the strategy actually in Bonato's lap in these? Well, roles. that's a question, isn't it? You know, that's
2: exactly the point I was going to make. Less before we hit Bonato, his job is not to make the strategy. His job is to explain why the strategists that he's paying made the decisions they did. And that is not going to be an easy task in front of the bloodthirsty Italian media during these next three weeks.
3: And we've heard on the radio live and at the time from Carlos Sainz. You mentioned it in the pre-show, Bob, that, you know, don't make don't make up decisions, don't make up scenarios. Um, And now again, Charles Leclerc, you know, I mean, he hasn't said anything. I mean, last week he blew it. But the bottom line is. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they're blowing it week after week. And whoever is making these strategy calls, when everybody else can see it, the emperor's clothing is not good. So, I don't know what happens. They have to have a rethink. Um, but I, I'm I'm with Priestley on this one. I, I, I really do believe, in the, and Ferrari does do this time to time, they will bring out the light night of the long knives if they feel, because you know, uh, Bob, the whole of Italy will be all over the papers tomorrow, all over the media, uh, crucifying the red team because they should be winning.
4: I think the thing that better happen is Bonotto ought to replace the strategist.
6: Well, he has to. As a leader, he needs to. Yeah, Yeah,
4: summer break. He needs to own that, manage that, make it happen, uh, or else he's gone also.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's not yeah. good, you know, um, Ferrari, you know, the, out of all the teams in Formula One, Ferrari live and die on their performance in Formula One uh, because they are basically a Formula One team with a rather nice road car to go along with it. Not the other way around, as in so many other cases. So, you mm-hmm. know, if Ferrari can't pull it out, uh, and they've got a beautiful car. I still think it's the best looking car. Um, but it also, you know, when you're second and third on the grid to not have both cars on the podium, when there was no real drama, plus your opponents are spinning, um, and the guy that starts 10th wins, right? it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty ugly
2: and going to get uglier from the sound of it. Well,
3: would you go with Bonotto's head or would you go like Les says with the strategies?
2: Oh, yeah, I would definitely shake up my my strategy team. Uh, Benato is going to need to explain himself uh, and explain how he's going to fix it. Uh, because this has happened too many times now in, what, 13 races. Mm. Um, too many times. Now, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody is entitled to a mistake every now and then. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's happened too many times to Ferrari thus far this season and uh and Verstappen's threatening to make what was a very competitive season into a runaway
4: into a walkover yeah really is yeah. really is hey we can't go too mm-hmm. far without acknowledging that uh Mr. Varsha won our predictions oh he did he came closest all right I'll say well two, done, of, two <laughs> of the three of his guys are on podium so uh Russell and Verstappen or shes left. and hand grenades there you go mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> got it uh all right, we'll give Bob the prize for this week then, and, uh, no question about it. But uh, well,
2: there's there's the solution: make a prediction and don't watch the race.
3: There you go. <laughs> That's the <laughs> easy way of doing briefly. it. I-
2: I guarantee I'll watch the replay.
3: Well, and also hats off to uh, Lewis Hamilton to beat his own teammate uh, and do it on track, not by strategy per se. Um, and, you know, uh, all right, um, Russell said his tires weren't as good in that last stint, but you still got to take nothing away from Lewis Hamilton, who had a DRS issue during qualifying. Uh, and were it not for that, um, he could have been further up the board. But a great way to finish his uh, run into the summer as well
4: i'll go as far as saying had he started out higher up on the grid towards the front could have want it he might have taken that top step past max all
3: right how long we got you bob are you with us
4: yeah i'll hang into the end. i honestly
2: thought you guys would be in the waning minutes of this one but then i thought well it is hungry and yeah. that one that one goes for a long time especially if it started to rain as we suspected it might
3: yeah, uh, and he kept he kept sort of, it might do, it might do, and we literally got it under the safety caution of, we, we went to a virtual safety when Botas conked out uh, on the penultimate lap, and then uh, um, we literally got rain on the last lap, so Verstappen was hanging on, but he all, already had a ridiculous lead by then, so everybody tiptoes to the finish, um, but it really was a pretty impressive run. Les?
4: Yeah, uh, the one thing that changed uh, from the flag that we saw, remember Daniel Ricciardo got a five-second penalty induced over his uh, bump and uh, pit maneuver on Stroll. And so that took him from 13 to 15. Fair enough.
3: All right, well, listen, we'll take a short break. Uh, We'll be back with more to talk about Hungarian Grand Prix.
0: plan savings with three lines of t-mobile essentials versus comparable available plans plan features and taxes and fees may vary hi this is gene haas and
2: this is speed city welcome back to the fastest hour in radio speed city
3: Welcome back as we start to look at what was a very interesting Hungarian Grand Prix. You know, I'm not sure Gene's going to be happy with uh,
4: Mick in 14 and K-Mag in 16
3: today. No, it wasn't a good day at the office for Haas, was it really? No, no, I don't don't think so. Well, they went, they tried a strategy. They went on the hard tyres. Here's what I don't understand. We all heard from Chris Medland... By the way, we're hoping to get Chris back on. He's just had a bit of a a techo problem, but he's going to try and get some interviews for us and and join us in a moment. But we all heard from Mario Islet, the the head of of Pirelli, before the start of the race, rain or not, that the hard tyre wasn't working. And all the teams found that out yesterday when they tried it in free practice. It wasn't working. Now, the lower temperatures may have given somebody uh, an idea that it might last a little longer. Uh, And so, sure, Haas tried it. um, what's, What's to lose? But then Ferrari do it. And, of course, it... Fails miserably and they go backwards. So I just—it's decisions like that that are so obviously wrong for a contender that the, that the Red Bull and, and Mercedes would never have thought of doing that, and yet Ferrari does it. Go ahead, Bob. To a team
2: out there, isn't that what yeah. you use them for? Yeah. Is hey, you guys Giddy-pig. put this tire on and let's see what you can do with it. And yet somehow they decided that was the the right move. I, I don't get it.
3: Yeah, and and what is unfortunate is that it's taking the gusto away from what is a brilliant run by Red Bull and Max Verstappen, who, let's face it, won controversially, whether, you know, I don't want to keep digging up last year's Abu Dhabi. But, you know, there's no question he wanted to go uh, and win another title uh, and take it fair Mm -hmm. and square and show us just how good he is. Uh, and he's doing just that, but at the moment the competition is just not there. I hope this uh, this vein of form uh, for Mercedes continues, and we genuinely get Russell and, and Mercedes forget Ferrari for a second, um, actually pushing Red Bull all the way um, because that's what we want. Because so far Ferrari have not lived up to the contender, uh, you know, merit, if you will.
4: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you know, I love the the jumbled up mix of cars and finishing we've been seeing this year. Uh, Max is certainly leading the pointer in, but uh, seeing Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari all dicing around, Alpine is who I think. Is going to continue to apply pressure. I think they're going to come on and finish up stronger than we expected.
3: No. Well, they were tripping over themselves because uh, right from the get-go, Alonso and Ocon, Ocon made a move on Alonso right at the start, and that just got the got the fiery blood going yeah. in the Spaniard. And he he and uh, Ocon were overtaken at one point by um, Ricardo, Ricardo. <laughs> on one corner, yeah. both cars taken. So uh, <laughs> not not a good move. But you, I agree with you. Alpina think- coming.
4: Yeah, I think they need, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a discussion in there of, uh, hey, quit that, you know, go and uh, try to follow each other through and, and you know, draft, if nothing else. But uh, yeah. I think they burned up too much effort on each other. And uh, and then you had Ricardo, the, you know, Wiley Fox, Badger, right, you know, to go jump in through there.
3: Well, listen, we got a caller on the line. Vince in Toronto uh, is on the line. Vince, what do you got?
8: Um, I just want to say uh, you guys do a great job. I listen to you all the time when I leave Toronto to drive to my cottage up north. and
3: um, We'll do the show I from there if you English.
2: like. <laughs> <laughs> Give him front row seat. I hate you
3: already, Vince. Yeah, Vince, where's the cottage? Give us the address and the uh, GOP. Uh, the uh... Uh, in the Lake Thorn-
2: Country.
3: Thornberry, Hollywood. All right. I'm in. We're from Toronto to... From Trump
8: to Collingwood, it's a two-hour drive, and I always make sure I do the drive when your show's on. Oh,
2: good oh, man. Oh, Collingwood. Hey. Oh, and, my old, uh, my old ski racing buddy, Todd Brooker, is yeah. from Collingwood, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the right. crazy Canucks downhillers. Hey, but well.
8: but I was in Hungary in 1997 for the race. I had paddock tickets. Uh, Bob, you forgot to mention the nightlife there is unbelievable. <laughs> you know about it. Well, you
4: Bob know, was working.
2: Things- <laughs> have to go. <laughs> one one that,
3: thing I also I think, didn't I mention I was Lacey, the first time I went to and Burger.
2: Yeah, we're there. Yeah. I was yeah. at that and race, I, too. I was going into the circuit in the late 80s, and there were a bunch of signposts, you know, restrooms this way, pit lane that way, what have you. And one of these signs with an arrow was pointing toward erotic camping. Ah. Yes. I kid you not. <laughs> Erotic camping. I always wondered what that was because, of course, I never invested. What the hell have we gotten into here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
8: I had the four 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 days uh, unbelievable in Hungary. I loved it. I'm going to try to go back again, but I'm much older, so those fun days are done. Anyways, keep up the oh, great. No, hey Vince, before you, I, Hey
3: Vince, before you go, yeah. are we going over the top with Ferrari? As a, as a Ferrari man, I'm sure with your memories of Mister Villeneuve, you must be feeling for the Ferrari uh, Tifosi at the moment.
8: Yeah, you know, I I, I just love the sport, so uh, I don't really have a favorite team, but. I did go watch the race when um, in Australia when Jacques Villeneuve was racing, too. I was there as well. Cool. But uh, I before I got married, I used to go to a different circuit every year. So when, when marriage clicked in, that was it. The days were done.
3: Yeah, you, you tend to get on the same circuit when you get married. <laughs> exactly.
2: That's why you got to marry a fan. Okay. You got to marry a Formula One fan. There, there you go. go. All
3: uh, right, Vince, keep well, watching good. and keep, keep doing your drive to the cottage. We'll try to entertain you on the way up there. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll uh, try, try.
8: make sure. Um, uh, I always schedule my drive when you guys are on. Keep up the great work.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Keep keep listening and keep try watching. the
2: restaurants on Martha's Island when you go back to
3: Budapest. Ah, uh, there you go. Ah, good good, good advice. Yeah. All right. Well, I will tell you what, we can't go a show without Corvette Mike. We got to have him on. We could. He's well. I will no. tell you what, if he's parked up Let's in Nashville, not. if he's parked up in Nashville, I might join him because I'm going there on Thursday. But Mike, are you on the line? <laughs> I am. What you doing? Where are you going? I am uh, traveling in the rain,
9: as in the race, uh, here at the end uh, to get to Nashville and put a load of autos off. But uh, I enjoyed the race. I was just kind of pulling there at the beginning. You know, I said, I'd like to see Russell get you know half the lead laps in that race. So He got so close. But, again, it turned around. Max did the spin and win. That was exciting. Uh, Ferrari, I guess, is the top of the list on discussion because what are they doing?
3: I know. Yeah. It's beyond belief, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. And,
9: uh, Mr. Varsha, I did catch some of the E this weekend, and you've about converted me to a non-sounding racetrack, so I'm listening.
4: <laughs> right on, brother. Uh, hey, i got a question <laughs> for Corvette Mike. He is in the neighborhood now. By chance, are you on 40? I am. All righty. When you go through Cumberland County, I want to report on that new big 770 acre racetrack that they're building there. All next right. time you go through there, On assignment. There. Yep, we're going to give Ooh, them a sign. I have
9: not. This is new to me. It's up on the plateau somewhere.
4: Yes, Plateau Park oh. area. And uh, okay. right there next to 40. I will put out, the, just I will shy put out of,
9: the feelers.
4: Yep, just shy of 800 acres. Oh, I
3: like it. Assignment it, for Corvette oh, Mike. Wow.
4: And it is I thought a. it was a
3: new exit ramp.
4: <laughs> yeah, it is a Grand Prix style. Of circuit. I mean, you've up. got
3: the Corvettes. Oh. Just couldn't you just unload one or What's two? What's a few miles yeah. on them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on. Just make sure they all work. That would, be, that would be
9: so nice. But I did feel did feel honored this week, guys. I had a load of Vets on and was overtaken by both an Aston Martin and a Alfa Romero this week on the
4: interstate.
3: Wow, that's fun. There you go. Well, you might be. You might be. You might did you be, pass up a
4: Ferrari on the shoulder with hard tires on it? <laughs> <laughs>
9: <laughs> Good one, last Too too and, uh,
3: soon? Uh, nah. It's no, sorry. It's yeah, never coming. too soon.
9: Still is, the, yeah. still is the fastest hour on the radio, and we enjoy you guys. And thanks for all you guys do.
3: Hey, and stay with us, Mike. Thank always, uh, always get, call in anytime you like. We're always uh, interested in, to see where you are in the country. Keep on delivering those beautiful cars. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do, guys. All right, travel safe, right.
4: buddy. All right,
3: Bob Varsha, I you got know, to I'm... go on. Go ahead. You got something oh. on your mind. Well, yeah, I do. I'm
2: looking at the results here, and I see a story developing, um, and it involves number two drivers. Uh, I don't think the driver's title is going to be decided by what somebody's number two does, but I think the constructor's title, where all the money resides, could very well be. I mean, Verstappen's brilliance uh, covers the fact that Sergio Perez didn't qualify well and moved up, what, six places to get to fifth, but that's... um, not as good as the one-two punch that Ferrari put out there. Granted, Ferrari had so much more potential, but they still finished with both cars in the top six. On the other hand, Daniel Ricciardo let McLaren down again. Norris, the only McLaren in the top 10, is seventh. And then the two Alpines, Alonso and Ocon, eight and ninth. Not a big haul of points, but if both drivers in the team continue to finish close together and they finish in the points, that kind of consistency is really going to matter at the end of the year, I think.
3: No, you're absolutely right. And I think that's going to, in the end, going to be the more more interesting battle is for those important important points and money, as you say, uh, for the Constructors' Championship. I think by the time we get to Austin, it's going to be pretty fruity. We could have some Mm -hmm. erotic camping, maybe, in Austin.
4: (laughs) I'm going to leave that to you. Yep. Thank you.
3: Our survey said, no. (laughs) Okie dokie.
2: But looking ahead, well, how about Sebastian Vettel going into tenth place in his final visit? I know to yeah. uh, Hungaro Ring
3: and having to do it against Stroll again. Uh, those two just seem to end up went next to each other at the end of the race, and uh, yeah, uh, a nice little swan song or start of the swan song for Vettel. And uh, who knows? He's unfettered now. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll start getting good results. Yeah. Well, look, and we work with we, the we tracks got- coming up. Lots to talk about because we do have a break now, and I wonder in this uh, season of upgrades at sort of what I would call elongated times, we're used to seeing upgrades in Spain and so on, but I've got a feeling we might just see incremental upgrades as this season ramps up into very, very competitive finish. I think that will
4: be interesting. Yeah, you might well.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, uh, speaking of Vettel, the Aston Martin team rolled out—I'm sure you saw—with a very odd-looking rear wing. Yep. With two large, I don't know. The only word that comes to mind is burled edges to it mm-hmm. that push the uh, the yeah. regulation to the limit. And I'm sure uh, the aerodynamicists and engineers at all the other teams are saying, "Hang on, what is this? Is it effective? Yep. Should we do one? Should we protest it?" Uh, you know, that's kind of a adding salt to the wound when we're talking about Aston Martin right now. But it shows that these teams are still digging hard, even at the back of the grid, to uh, come up with useful solutions.
3: Yeah, and Haas just brought their first upgrade of the season just this weekend. I don't think it was a major step forward, and Magnussen didn't seem too uh, excited by it, and it didn't seem to make that much difference between the two of them because Schumacher didn't get it. Um, But I do think we will see sort of incremental and sort of you know looking towards the future as well as the now um for for the races to come
4: yeah and that wing that you're describing somebody else described it as like one of the old uh, wooden armchairs that have the kind of rolled off uh, armrest on yeah it. and what it does is it actually kind of deflects when down with pressure to come back up the lift part of the wing creating more down pressure so it, it does kind of a little uh, little rock back and forth of that Wind to create that down pressure, so it's a really interesting take on it, but you're right, it might be stretching the rules.
3: Well, listen, uh, our man yeah. Chris Medland is working it and has just sent us another interview. He spoke to Mario Isler, the uh, head of Pirelli uh, Motorsport, to get his take on what was a very interesting Hungarian Grand Prix. Is Chris? I
6: told you before the race uh, uh, the hard tire in this condition was struggling for sure with the warm up, but also with the level of grip. Most of uh, the drivers were focusing on a medium, medium soft uh, strategy with different combinations. And uh, there was a bit of graining on the soft that was not completely unexpected, considering the conditions and the green track. uh, I would say that the medium was working quite well. The hard was very consistent, but slow. (laughs) That was the only problem. So Alpine tried a one-stop race uh, medium-hard. That was an option. And the majority of uh, drivers were using soft medium with a two-stop. And how was the medium going to do uh, lengthwise? Because if we look at, say, Charles
5: Leclerc's strategy, he'd gone medium, medium. So would he be able to extend that middle stint long enough to go to soft, do
6: you believe? Uh, we have to check the tires and see the, the wear and take some data. At the moment, it's a bit too early to say. Bit of, bit of a surprise to see such
5: variation, though, today. I guess, do you think part of it as well, when it's raining, people are worried that they might have to mix it up?
6: Um, the variations were not unexpected because talking to the teams before the race, there was a not, not a clear picture on the compounds and how the compounds are working. So when uh, when you have this uh, a sort of uh, lack of data, then uh, everything becomes more interesting. If you add that uh, weather conditions today were uh, very difficult to read uh, we, we had a great tire wise we had a great race but also the race was good in terms of action on track so i'm happy
5: so we just need more completely different ch- changes in weather temperatures and sprinkles of rain for every race and we'll be fine That's yes, that's an option yes <laughs> perfect mario thank you and have a great break thank
3: you there you go uh I, d- 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 I can't fathom this he's italian ferrari's italian you'd think they'd talk but anyway that's just me. Or do they listen? Do they listen? Listen, plenty more to come from our wrap-up of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Stay with us. We've got Bob Varsha talking about just what just... We spoke about just a moment ago, which is... Tires! tires. After this.
7: Hey, guys. We are very excited to welcome our new sponsor, allstop Brewery, to Speed City. These guys make a fantastic beer, and I'm going to let Jonathan talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it when I tasted it. I am not a big beer aficionado. I like a nice cold beer, but I'm always worried about a craft beer or a new beer that it's going to have a funky taste, especially aftertaste. This beer was fantastic. I have absolutely no... Uh, no qualms at all that this is my new favorite beer. But, Jonathan, you know why? What makes it so special? The water and the recipe?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, these guys have d- done their research and do it right. And they've even imported the right water to do it right. I mean, it, it, I tell you, this I'll beer, fantastic. And I'm, uh, you know, most Europeans are snobs about their beer. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those. Because, You're definitely a snob? Yes, okay. about my beer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because there's no question, carbonation has always been... My issue here in the states, it's carbonated and our lagers, our pilsners and lagers in Europe, um, uh, especially German ones, are not that heavily carbonated, and that's a, a key thing. And that's the first thing that uh, hit me was just how well they've done the beer. Uh, it's based out of Fredericksburg. It's, uh, it's, it's got a great tie-in because obviously Fredericksburg, a German town, and now they've got a Texas German beer, and it's cracking.
7: Yeah, and the, uh, the facility out there, it's amazing. They've, they've really done it right. It's really fantastic.
3: So, so check it out. You can get it at all the local H-E-Bs and everything else, right? Yep. Uh, it's around all around Texas. You can get it. Uh, they sell it in, uh, uh, on, on the shelf there as a Texas beer. But uh, I'll tell you what, you're in, right back in Germany when you drink it. And it's Alts.Beer, Altstadt, A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, Beer.com. Alts.Beer, Altstadt,
7: A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T, Beer.com.
0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
7: Hi, this is Max Steppen and you're listening
1: to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed
3: City. Thank you, Max, and congratulations. Uh, that was the drive of a world champion today because he took the mantle, uh, he got the car, he put everything behind him that had gone wrong leading up to that. He could have been frustrated, he could have been you know fed up with the fact that he didn't qualify anywhere near the front, but he kept his head down, did his job, and uh, that really was, like I said, the drive of a champion, Les. Absolutely, mm-hmm.
4: you know, like I said, we've seen times, you know, in his history. He, that would have rattled him, you know. But he also showed things, passing on the outside, passing on the inside, you know, even uh, even the 360 spin, uh, he kept his head in the game. That could have really just totally derailed everything that he had going for him. And so I think that marks a lot of maturity for the guy.
3: Bob, I want to bring you in here because we did mm-hmm. pretty much hear Chris Medlin's interview with Mario Isla saying what we all have just said. And, and I I kind of, I always like, there's nothing wrong with punditry, but I like to hear it from the, from the horse's mouth. The guy that made the tires said the, the hard was not competitive and was slow just in that last interview. So, yeah. I and mean, we knew who's not is. listening.
2: Uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious in the way we saw tire usage during the course of that race. Um, Yeah, they said going in after a Friday practice, they found that the the hard was almost a full second slower than the medium. And everybody spent their time, well, on the soft primarily because very few teams had fresh sets of soft at the end. Most had used up their allotment. They had one set of hards and then a bunch of mediums, which once again this week was the preferred tire. Um, I don't know. I guess some teams just thought they could, they could get that hard tire up to temp and use it to to chew up laps but you know clearly that wasn't going to happen today from what I'm able to glean from this thing.
3: Got a couple, um, got a couple of comments on uh, YouTube. Sanat P says, Charles could have gone up to 50 laps uh, and would have done 28 on the medium by then and the last 20 on softs. Even if he lost track position to a couple of them, he could have regained them like Hamilton did. And T and W living in Udan Thani, or no, Udon Thani, Thailand, says... Red Bull playing chess, Ferrari playing checkers.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: good one! Uh, it's uh, I'm I'm writing a uh, an article for a Ferrari magazine at the moment, and I'm tearing my hair out as to how to explain the first half of Ferrari's 2022 season. I mean, they looked so good yeah. early on, and then the combination of driver mistakes, misfortune, frankly, but also just stubbornness and and wrongheaded decisions have just derailed it. I mean, you couldn't find a better case study in uh, in how they run their operation. I'd I'd love to know how these decisions are made. Yeah, it'd be fun to compare each each stop on the pit wall and listen to the conversations and who leads that conversation and who makes the final decision. And Yeah, that would um, heads might roll, but it would be really illuminating. Well, some, yeah, something's got to happen.
3: Uh, one of our regulars, Andy P, says, clear again that the Ferrari strategy decision-making process needs to be overhauled. To me, it's more a process issue, uh, and what they have to do is break it down, look at the holes in that process, then fix it. And I have to say, that sounds like a very level-headed approach, but that's not what we're getting. Let's, talking of level heads, Chris Medlin rejoins us. I can hear him in the background. Chris, are you there? I am indeed.
5: I've managed to steal some Wi-Fi. How are we doing? Ah, Good.
3: Um, but we are discussing what you'd expect. Is I mean, your Mario interview, excellent, because he said it, black and white. The car, the, the, the hards weren't competitive. What are Ferrari doing?
5: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm watching uh, Mattia Bellotto now, basically having to explain himself to basically pretty much every TV station under the sun that <laughs> they've queued up. I'm seeing if I can stick our mic in there at some stage to Good luck uh, get with that. an explanation. The, yeah, exactly. It's a tough one, because I think in a weird way, people want to talk to Ferrari more when they mess up, because it happens too often. Yeah. So they kind of want an explanation, uh, whereas you know, when they win, it's like, congratulations, well done, great. But things didn't go wrong, so people are just, I don't know, they're less pushy. So, yeah, well, it's, let, um, it's got a lot of explaining to do right now.
3: Well, let me ask you a different question, which is, where are Mercedes going into the summer break? I mean, you asked Toto because he said we weren't expecting to be pole. We'll just see what happens. But, you know, I, I feel like they've been kind of... Mm, Uh, Just being a little bit uh, cautious about what they say to the media, they don't want to blow their trumpet too much because they know they were on the back foot from the start. But where are they going into the summer break?
5: I think they're in a very strong position. I think if you look at the way the car's improved, uh, also the way they've managed to find ways of getting more performance out of it. So it's not just been, um, you know, the upgrades they brought and how that's worked. But if you look at the fact that this weekend they completely turned things around and got it to be quicker having a bad Friday then that's a very, very good sign. Uh, and I think that they're starting to understand their car more now. So I think they're going to be a threat at more and more races. I don't know if we're going to see them winning many. I think they'll win one or two. Um, and I think with the way it's panned out, if if with a car that uncompetitive, they're this close to Ferrari. I mean, once they got 30 points in the championship, I think mm-hmm. there's every chance they could overhaul that.
3: Yeah, you're right. It is exactly 30 points. Um, Ferrari uh, in second place still, but a, almost, like I said, a, almost 100 off now uh, from Red Bull. So the battle is on for second place and it's very much entrenched into Ferrari versus Mercedes. Uh, and that gap is definitely doable with Russell on great form and Hamilton clearly getting more and more uh, competitive. Let, Let me, me uh, go uh, ahead, ask Bob. a
2: question here. Qu- Chris, what do you think you know, we, we've been over this porpoising thing and the proposed solutions by the FIA. Um, and we heard Christian Horner say, we don't need the FIA to step in. The teams are mm-hmm. handling this. It's not going to happen overnight, but they'll get it done. Now it appears that what Horner was saying has some validity to it. Um, it, it do we not need porpoising control with sensors and algorithms and penalties and all of that?
5: i think it's more going to come down to there's no like black and white answer to this it's going to be more an opinion based thing on do we want to trust the teams with that um or yeah. do the fia need to step in and i think the fia probably have stepped in at the point where it was at its worst and since seen it improve and probably been shown that no they don't need to step in um there will be tracks that it's a problem again uh, but i don't think there'll be many because if you think someone like monza they're going to be running such low downforce um mm-hmm. for such a high speed circuit that it shouldn't be as big an issue there. Spa maybe, uh, and I think that will be the. That's why they're kind of trying to push them through by Spa for this year to address it at the track yeah. where I guess it would be the biggest problem. But beyond that, I don't think we're going to see a huge amount. And I think that's why the teams are kind of within their rights, many of them, to push back and go, "Well, hang on, we're." You know we're not going to need it for next year it's not going to be such a big problem we've ironed it out uh because if it's costing them performance they're not going to do it and if their drivers can't keep performing to a a good level with it they're not going to do it so i'd left it personally up to the teams but uh i also get that the second that the fia have said this could be a safety issue we need to address it if they then don't and there's one issue one problem they are culpable so they've kind of pinned themselves in a bit of a corner
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's true. I'm glad you asked that question because that was the one question mark I had as to whether the FIA would uh, effectively take away some of Red Bull's, uh, if you like, um, advantage. That's certainly how Mercedes saw it going into this in terms of the argument of the oscillation. Uh, But I kind of agree with what Chris has said there, uh, that, 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 you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it in terms of I think they have addressed it at the worst time Um, But if it's not getting any worse, there are only a few tracks that it would and it may not actually raise its ugly head. It's porpoising head again. Les?
4: Yeah, uh, I'm going to say, though, my take on this was that the teams were not listening to the drivers. True. And that is why I'm all for the drivers saying, okay, I'm good with having a sensory metric that has to be followed. Because the teams don't realize how bad this hurts. I mean, we saw Hamilton one race struggling mm. to get out of his car. But let's let's look at a different sport, NFL and you know, for that matter, NCAA with shock sensors in the helmets. Mm. That translates to the real pain. And I think that is where, you know, this this helps.
3: George Russell did a a good in depth on checkered flag on the BBC uh, over the weekend and with uh, Andrew Benson and uh, basically said because he also represents the drivers even though he's as young as he is and he said you know there is he, his point was the drivers don't need an added bit of danger uh, to their driving and and what he meant by that was you know the car's botting me out which is you know you're always going to go for perform- performance that's what racing teams do uh, and racing drivers will follow that to the to the to the you know, to the letter. But um if it can be done away with because it's not safe for the drivers to be bouncing as the way they are, it's going to have long-term effects eventually. And it's just not good if you can't see properly and you're bouncing all over the place um, that, that, that they should step in. So the argument's out there, but I, 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 like I said, I hadn't heard Chris put it that way and I quite like it. Chris, are you still there?
5: I am around the Red Bull motorhome as we ah. speak because I'm waiting for Mr. Christian Horner to sum up. His first half of the season, I imagine he's a much happier man than Matteo Bonotto.
3: I I, I, I <laughs> concur. I think you've done the, the right thing to put yourself in the safety of the Red Bull uh, hospitality than that of the Ferrari. Tell you what, do we'll take a not, short not break. Not that
5: Ferrari would welcome us in, I think.
3: No, I'll tell you what we'll do, Chris. You carry on. We're going to take a short break, uh, and we'll come back to you, and hopefully you'll be in full flow. Stay with us here as we look at the Hungarian Grand Prix on Speed City. If you want to know where the path to Formula One and in Indy begins, it's three simple letters VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the Road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at velocity underscore RD
2: Hi, this is Jay Leno from jaylenosgarage.com, and you're listening to
3: Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio Speed City. Nobody says it like Jay. Speed City! And our thanks. So let's re. Visit, if you will. Um, we've now got a three-week break, and a lot is made of it in Formula One because it really is wall-to-wall uh, for those on the on the circus. Uh, and I know that from from doing it. Uh, Les, you've done a few races, and even if you don't do a full season, you know it can be – you can imagine how laborious it is. They need a break.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it taxes everybody, not just the driver. Uh, that's one of the things that have come up is they are changing the curfews coming up and so uh you're gonna the teams are gonna be allowed eight exceptions to do some work on wednesday that uh previously was not as not as uh, freely and so this helps you uh as a team member supporting cast whatever you want to call them be able to have more time more predictable and uh really just with the lengthening of the calendar not to just wear out and get every last drop of blood out of your teams
3: just had a comment on youtube uh just joined is the race winner this time being discussed and it's like yeah that's true uh, we haven't really spent too much time we've been we've been destroying ferrari but let's not uh lose sight of the fact that that was a brilliant drive by a brilliant world champion bob um you know when you when you go from 10th to 1st and there is no real incident stroke weather playing a part in that uh it's pretty impressive no question.
2: And uh, when I ran down the starting grid this morning in our pre-race show, I said that if Max Verstappen's car is healthy, he's going to come through this field like a tornado. And he did. Now he, he did said exactly in his that. pre-race interview with Chris, you got to be patient around the Hungaro ring. But boy, if that was patience, then um, I'll have a double helping, please. He <laughs> knew he had the car and uh, he picked his spots. Remember, this is a place that you know, Nigel Mansell became a legend That's in right. 92 when he went by a whole bunch of people, including Ayrton Senna, just by bombing around, you know what, to the wall the whole time. And um I think Verstappen, from what I can glean, put on a pretty similar show today. The guy's obviously, you know, on another planet right now, which is his uh, eighth win in 13 races. Mm. I mean, this is. This is going to get pretty sketchy. Yeah, after a while. this
3: is the season he wanted to have after what mm-hmm. was a, a sort of a strange one to finish with, and, and obviously a controversial one. This is the dominant mm-hmm. season he wanted. Uh, Eighty points he now has ahead. I do want to ask one thing that is a little bit left field, and I keep bringing it up, but I'm I'm still kind of banging that trail. We were talking about this, Les, during the race, and I'd like to get Bob's take on it. We keep saying. Or I keep saying I don't like DRS because we've now got the cars designed to a point where they don't need it. And every time I see a DRS overtake, um, you know, we watched, you know, we watched Ricardo overtake two Alpines in the same corner. That wasn't because of DRS. And if you can, can we get to a point where maybe we take DRS down to I don't know forty seconds per race, so that you can use it anytime you want, but not for every time you're within a second. What do you? What's your feel on that?
2: I like that idea. Frankly, Um, I I have no major problem with DRS, but I think a very cogent argument could be made that it is, in fact, unnecessary. Mm. I mean, the way you're supposed to pass people is by superior driving skills in a car that has a performance advantage, whether it's a complete advantage throughout the entirety of the race or just in certain corners where your car does something better than the other guys does. But that's I mean, that's part of the art. Of race driving is knowing how to maximize your opportunity to uh, to make progress and potentially win a race. I'd like to say something about what Les said earlier about the, the the length of the season and the need for a break. I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, where a, a mechanic, an anonymous mechanic, wrote um, a letter in which he explained why people do not understand the stresses of life on the Formula One trail. It's not just about long curfews and all that sort of thing it's about you know complete tear down and build up of race cars back in the shop it's about traveling enormous distances from continent to continent in economy Mm
9: -hmm. after
2: getting very little sleep you know it's about having spouses and children at home Uh, it's about holidays it's about summer vacations it's about school recitals and sports games and stuff like this it's about the quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. You want to commit to formula one, the most glamorous motorsport in the world, but at the same time, you know, how heavy a price should that commitment cost you? And, um, I loved that letter when it was written. And I think about it a lot in, in discussions like this about what these teams, you know, they, they don't get on private jets like the, uh, the, um, you know, the team principals and the head designers and even the race drivers get on. They're there packing everything up, hauling it to the next location, um, you know, spending you know, long trips cramped up in an economy airplane seat, it's um, it's a rough life in lots of ways.
3: Yeah, I, and it's funny because I, I, I often go to a dinner party or whatever, and people go, oh, what do you do? And I go, oh, I follow cars around the world and bikes. And they go, oh, that's a dream job. And I go, yeah, it is. And then I go, well, yeah. then I complain <laughs> about the travel. And they're like, right, what's exactly. the matter with that guy? What a, what a sourpuss that guy is, you know, complaining about Everything traveling around the world. Is Everything <laughs> is a
2: job at one point or another. Yep, absolutely.
3: But there's no question, um, you know, there are some also highlights to that. I mean, Budapest, as you mentioned, a hell of a nightlife, a hell of a place to be. Mm -hmm. I, I remember sitting in a bar on the Danube during the Hungarian Grand Prix and thinking actually this is a pretty nice place to be. Plus, I want to share with our audience something that I don't often share, which is some of the inside track that Chris was uh, just alluding to when we were off air, and Bob, I think you've experienced this. There's one thing that is unique about Hungary, because it was an Iron Curtain country, and because Bernie came in there and sort of brought international sport to that part of the world, one of the most exciting parts about the Hungaro Ring weekend was the leaving of, because there is a flight, or or some flights, on a Sunday night out of the airport uh, in Uh Budapest, and so you were able to sign up in the media center to the convoy, the police-led convoy that would leave the circuit and take you directly to the airport, and all the citizens of Budapest, millions of them would come out on the street because they knew that all the F1 drivers in their rental cars, plus all the journalists and anybody who'd signed up, were going to literally race to the airport. Uh, And I do remember Micah and passing me on the hard shoulder at one point and and David Coulthard on the inside of me. And I thought, oh, that's not going to happen very often (laughs) in in my pinto. Did you ever have any similar
2: experience? (laughs) Oh, yeah, very much like that. And we used to do that on the Tour de France as well because, you know, you'd have 140 riders and all of the support crews and teams and media and what have you and spectators. And they'd finish in some tiny little ski town on top of a mountain with one road going down. And so you always listen to hear when the convoy was getting ready and they'd sound a horn three minutes, two minutes, one minute. And then, yeah, we'd wind on down and, you know, folks would jump the queue and all that sort of thing. But you did not want to miss that because you had all of these fans, you know, who'd camped out on the edge of a cliff to watch the riders come up the hill. They all wanted to get their campers down the hill as well. So yeah, it's, um, those those police escorts are fun, uh, but they can be pretty darn chaotic.
3: Hey, we got another caller, Kenny, on the line. We're about to go off the air, but Kenny, you wanted you, you want to get a question from California?
8: Yes, yeah, sir. Hey, uh, how do they get all the equipment around the world? The the trucks uh, and all the other team. Uh, equipment that they use. And, and what are those buildings that they seem to set up at every track? Are they portable
3: units that, yes. that house for all the yes. different teams? Yeah, you're absolutely yes. right. They, they just throw it – they just put it all in a sprinter. No, they don't. Um, <laughs> they, they actually they actually uh, charter several 747s uh, to take all the equipment. And something that's Bernie Eccleston put in place, he actually owns Biggin Hill and Airport in London. And so it's all packed up. But in <laughs> fact, they've started to actually – take less equipment to each and every race. So the F1 Pro yeah. guys and the, some of the guys you'll see often do the commentary and their work from Biggin Hill in London uh, remotely. So, yeah. But the big stuff, the cars, et cetera, et cetera, go on 747 planes, right? And, there are- it's, and
2: it's great fun to watch, but they do not. The transporters, the big, beautiful trucks, do not travel outside of Europe.
3: We're going to finish the show. We got uh, Christian Horner on the line. Christian Horner, uh, last comment from him on his day. So
5: Christian, we spoke to you on the grid before the race and you said top five was sort of the realistic target. So how unexpected was a win from 10th for Max?
10: Yeah, totally unexpected. So phenomenal drive, great teamwork, great strategy. You know, we had a couple of issues that we had to nurse during the race, but we got on top of them. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that was right up there with one of Max's best races. And the guys in the studio were saying he did it danny sullivan he had a spin to win as well i mean what happened there i mean yeah i mean a complete 360 i think he was just warming the tires up but uh of course it meant he had to chop past charles not once but twice um so it felt a little bit like uh, uh you know the the opposite of what happened to us in um in in our home race in austria yeah at which point did you feel like this race was there for the taking though that you could win it i think as soon as i saw a a set of tyres with white uh you know white sidewalls on them on the go onto the ferrari of charles i thought okay you know we know that they're going to be hard to get going um we're on the medium we take advantage of that and uh yeah you know max max made it work and uh and was able to really control the race thereafter
5: and a word on checo's race as well because he did come through the field slightly but did the vsc hurt him at the end there did you think he was gonna get carlos
10: I felt that he got a real go at Carlos and at um, George. You know, he was a second a lap quicker in the closing laps of the race and, you know, coming at them strong. So the VSC just took the steam out of that a bit. But, uh, you know, again, another, another strong recovery from him. Uh, moves in very close in points to Charles now. So, um, you know, time for a well-earned rest uh, in the shutdown and come back fully charged up for after the break. Well,
3: there you go. we got the, the the main man talking. My thanks to Les Kaiser, as always, Bob Varsha. Chris Medland, as ever, doing a brilliant job at the Hungaro Ring. We hope you've enjoyed our coverage here on SiriusXM. I'm Jonathan Green. John will be back in the hot seat next week. And I say next week because we're off for a couple of weeks. We're going to take our summer break. We're going to take a spa. And we'll see you at Spa, Franco. shop, next time out. Bye-bye for now.
4: Ciao, y'all.